Welcome to another Dinner Table Talks. My name is Joe Hilliard. I am always with... Aislinn Campbell. And there is a seat that's empty right here. Mm-hmm. So just have a seat in that seat and join us as we talk about another entry in the Grain-Free Pizza Crust Challenge. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't... Just pardon us. There's a chicken really loud in the backyard, <laughs> and that's the only thing that I hear. She's like, I just laid an egg. Here I go. We should probably start by saying it's the day after the election. It is. We truly talk about everything at the dinner table. And so what we've done is that we have learned to invite our friends to as open a conversation as we can possibly have at the dinner table. So that was kind of an interesting, kind of like that conversation we've been having in the past about the debates and how I'm kind of like, can we make a rule that we don't have to have loud debates in our house? You know, that kind of thing. The frustrating part of that rule for the 2020 election was your shift away from how invested you used to be in it. So here I am as invested. It's like watching Sports Center for, for many, many other men. I don't watch Sports Center. So when it comes to elections from local through the presidential, I have always been mega interested in it. Right. And I didn't really have that interest the way that you did. I mean, I certainly had a social justice warrior type of interest as a young 20-year-old, young mom, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out who I was and what my value systems were and all of that. But I didn't have that interest in politics until I met you. And then it became a... I I don't believe you. You lived through Obama... Yeah, I mean, a little bit, a little bit, but definitely not what happened when I met you. Uh-huh. Definitely not local, without any doubt. I didn't sure. know anything about local politics until I met you. Once that happened and I started the nonprofit, then I became a lot, a lot more invested in policy, mm-hmm. food advocacy, policy, you know, lobbying for things that mattered to me. And so At then... The local through state level. Yeah, local through yeah. state level, uh-huh. exactly. And I do still have an interest in that. I, however, since the election started this year, since I ran for office two years ago, I just know the system better than I knew it before. Mm-hmm. And it's just well, garbage. You've also, you've also found... <laughs> it's just garbage. It's, it's say, not, there's the nothing need. real about it anymore. I mean, yes, they're making real policy once they get into office. But the thing about it is, is that... The campaigning part of it is such garbage, Mm -hmm. and the election is such garbage. I just, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to be the best person I I can be. I'm going to still continue to support and advocate for certain policies and leaders that I want to support. But beyond that, I'm going to go click those buttons, and then I'm going to move on with my life. And my response to all of it was to not have, I just don't... To like choose not to get embroiled in the partisan and the... And not just that, but to listen to the frigging pundits talk about garbage for hours. They gotta fill those hours. all the same garbage over and over and over again. And it wouldn't matter if it was the most boring presidential election of the century. They'd still talk about it as if it was life or death for every single human on earth. It's certainly moved into that over the last... God almighty, it's ...couple horrible. of decades. Yeah. And, you know... Everyone knows my position as the power through being the head party in charge became more about excluding the other party on both sides of the aisle. That's the thing. Everyone's guilty. All of them are guilty of it. We, we clutch our pearls. When I the, almost wonder if the media led the politics there rather than the politics question. leading the that's media there. That's a good there. question that I don't want to do because, for unanswered questions. Because the thing about it is, is that 
they're not saying anything new I think or it's different. Very cyclical. I, I think what you just said is very interesting. Chicken mm-hmm. and egg. Mm-hmm. Did the media feed into? They, I think that they certainly did. They did. They fed into the notion that if we partisanship the actual stations, mm-hmm. and Fox News taught us this, mm-hmm. we are here to deliver to conservatives a product. And they are no no longer news deliverers. They are now entertainers. From that is different than from fifty years ago when I think you're we seeing a shift away them. from news and into the entertainment. Certainly, uh, oh, you're seeing it. No, it's saying, done deal. I'm talking about over the last. Couple They've been of wagging the dog for a very, very long time at this point. Right. So <laughs> when you begin to look at it like that, my identity and my sense of righting the wrongs that exist in this world are about partisan national level politics. When you say that's not how I'm going to do it. You do look at all of it very, very differently. All of it very differently. The decision to not choose a tribe in the two-tribe war. Well, I, did, I made that decision a long, long time oh, ago. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's th- this, this election season was different for me. So you, you, know? you wanted nothing to do with it last night. Yeah, and I just like walked away, closed the bedroom door. I literally ate in bed. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the girls watched it. Yeah, me and my daughter and then your daughter got home and just plopped like immediately down on the couch. This is tonight's Super Bowl. This is tonight's television event. Right. So I went to bed last night. I had to give up. We could see the writing on the wall. And the system is that these different states have different rules and are going to count different ways. Okay. I expect that it'll be over by the time folks hear this podcast. So that'll be nice. You can breathe a sigh of relief that it's already done at the point that you're hearing this. (laughs) That's an unanswered question. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, on another note... Today was a pretty big day for me because we finally got the link to the public release of our TEDx talks. So hopefully you guys will go and check that out. We did post it on Facebook, but the easiest, easiest way to do it is to go to YouTube and type in My Garden is a Sanctuary. It's got my name. My Garden is a Sanctuary has Aislinn Campbell. It's not on my personal YouTube channel. It's on TEDx's um, YouTube channel. It's easy to find. My Garden is a Sanctuary. I hope you guys will go and listen to it because it was a really, really, there's a lot of good stories in it. And it's a really monumental moment in life for me. My goals in terms of motivational speaking and public speaking have really started to launch off. And I'm excited for the next phase of my personal career. When I got home to record today, you asked if I'd watched it. They just released it today. And of course I did. Yeah, yeah, of course. She goes, Mm -hmm. what did you think? I said, it was great. And then he started talking about how you are capable of receiving criticism. Well, and I tend not to be somebody that is not very good at taking criticism. And I'm trying really hard to learn to take criticism because I want to be the best person that I can possibly be. And the only way for that to happen is to be able to understand that there are other perspectives besides my own and to hear them. And some of them might actually be criticisms of me, but I can't get better if I don't hear those things. Look into my eyes. I'm looking into them. The speech is incredible. And I, I do hope that people listen to it. It's only 8.6 minutes long. Yeah. long. So yeah. if you've taken however many minutes and hours of listening to us on a podcast, you can definitely take eight minutes of your time and listen to my and YouTube And we speech. will include a link to it in our show notes. We will. Unanswered questions. Unanswered questions when we tie up the loose ends from last week. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do drive through Alabama to get from Texas to North Carolina. I was thinking it was Arkansas, though. And Cheerwine 
the regional soda that uh-huh. I discovered on a trip to a uh-huh. camp in high school uh-huh. is the number one suggested regional soda that the rest of America tries on a bunch of these fun lists that you find online. And it's Alabama's drink? No, it is North Carolina's drink. Oh. Yeah. Along with Texas's regional soda that appear on all of these, if you get to Texas, try this one. Uh-huh. Big Red. Mm, nice. It's deeply ingrained in our culture here in Texas. Big Red. Ah, well, that lends well to what I said last week, which is people like flat syrup because Big Red is terrible. Big Red's horrible. It's terrible. However, <laughs> like, it does have a loyal cult following. And a well, lot of these sugar has a loyal cult do. following as well. Here's the thing. I can tell you that Cheerwine has a cherry base. I can tell you that. And I can tell you that Dr. Pepper has got like root flavors to it, but it's mega sweet, like root beer kind of thing, sarsaparilla. Do you think that that is actually real? <laughs> well, I know that Dr. Pepper was created in Waco. I know that because I went to college in Waco. And that it was created uh, over 100 years ago with non-chemical ingredients. So it's going to be natural flavors put into a soda to compete with Coca-Cola, which is starting to rule the world at the time. Oh, well, that's because they're, they're just Now, over time, <laughs> it's just become a syrup version of what you know whatever you add to the carbonation to make Dr. Pepper. I don't know what Dr. Pepper is the way I know what root beer is it's supposed to be. It's got 72 flavors of something. My point, I don't know what Big Red is supposed to be. It's red, it's sugar, but it's gross. It has like a metallic taste. It's Some gross. people say it tastes like cotton candy. Oh, God. But that would be horrible to take up 12 ounces of. Yeah, Big Red. Ugh. And Get then... your cheer wine, avoid the Texas soda Big Red. We're going to tell you Big Red's a big thumbs down. <laughs> We're going to get like we're going to get hate mail. We might. From the big red lovers of the world. We might. I'm always afraid when I criticize a Whataburger that I'm going to get some I don't hate cri- mail. See, I don't criticize Whataburger. <laughs> Whataburger is fantastic. Whataburger is fast food and not good for you to eat, but it tastes so good. It's good. When was the last time you ate a Whataburger? Truthfully? Uh-huh. A couple months ago. I can't even tell you. I I literally don't even remember. <laughs> Truthfully? <laughs> yeah. Do you really want the truth on this? No, a couple of months ago, there was an occasion. Uh, I get it for my daughter often. I know. I see it. Yeah. In the I say often when sometimes. Gotcha. Then last week, I made the goat curry. Yes. And you didn't know, but you presumed that goat, the industrialized processing of goat is cleaner than, you know, some of the things that we know about. Yeah. And then as I was listening to it when we were editing. Uh-huh. I got all like nervous because, you know, I mean, I'm an, I'm somewhat of an influencer as it relates to local sourced food and meat, right? Then I was like, do I know what I'm talking about? Did I just justify in a way that is hypocritical of my true beliefs and things like that? Oh, I like think that? that an emerging theme as we move forward here is going to be cheats <laughs> and the way that we cheat and when we cheat on these other principles, we call it, we, we're crafting a list of ethics. No, here's the deal. So... If you go back to season one, you will learn that we have we have an interesting relationship with rules that don't make sense. We have an interesting relationship with rules in general. <laughs> when you research goat production for consumption in the United States, it is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Did you know that goat is the number one consumed meat around the world? Doesn't surprise me. But it is not even a market, really. In America. In South Texas. It's not even big enough in America to be industrialized. In South Texas, you know all about cabrito. Mm -hmm. 
but I looked at the grocery store, the big chain here's uh-huh. website, and yeah. you can't buy goat I- anywhere in yeah. the in the region. It's just not available. So when we got the goat that was raised by our friend and slaughtered in a way that we agree with and clean, mm-hmm. that's how people in America get goat. It is all localized and regionalized relationships. And there's going to be an exception to that, but I couldn't find it. I'm pretty certain that lamb is exactly the same way. Lamb available in our local grocery store. It came up as the search result for goat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's cool. The thing about Americans and goat and lamb and stuff like that, and even like lentil, like I was telling you the other day that the spinach pakoras that we order from the Indian food restaurant right. are actually a lentil-based crust. And you were like, oh, I can eat that. I can eat that on my sugar-free that I'm doing right now. And it got me thinking about this exact topic. And that is, oh, I wonder why so many countries use lentils and things like that in their breads rather than grains, the types of grains that we use here in America as a top priority. And then, of course, if we're talking about goat versus beef, it comes back to the concept that the United States of America, that the original English settlers stole from the original Native Americans, was a extremely abundant land that could grow grain and could feed cows. And we had a lot of it. That's something I think that as citizens of the United States, we need to consider and keep in mind that our wealth comes from our land. It absolutely does. All of it. Not just the food, but the oil and all of it. Our wealth comes from our land and we need to keep a good balance in that, keeping that in mind. I'm going to say it right now. If you eat meat, get yourself some goat. Yep. And finally, the unanswered question I'm most excited about, and that is the wild, wild world of asparagus urine and odor urine odor because on dinner table talks we talk about it all well we certainly serve asparagus you just wanted to talk about asparagus pee again so that you could say in your posting in the social media world we talk about asparagus pee on the dinner table talks you're not stupid (laughs) that is part of it but i also just enjoy filling in the gaps in 1731 a scottish mathematician wrote asparagus affects the urine with a fetid smell Fetid. Fetid. Well, I don't know that word. That's a word I don't Having know. Having an offensive odor. Fetid. I'm going to uh, use it for French novelist Marcel Proust, Proust or Proust, wrote in 1913 that asparagus, quote, transforms my chamber pot into a flask of perfume. Ooh. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin in 1781 wrote a letter to the Royal Academy of Brussels that, quote, a few stems of asparagus eaten shall give our urine a disagreeable odor. So... Did the original asparagus come from Brussels, like Brussels sprouts? I have no idea. Interesting. The culprit, as best as scientists can figure, is asparagusic acid, a compound high in sulfur and abundant in asparagus. So when your body digests asparagus and breaks down this acid, it releases, quote, volatile components that are responsible for the foul smell of asparagus urine, and it can develop within 15 to 30 minutes of eating the asparagus. Hmm. The unanswered question I had was, why does sometimes my pee smell from other things? What are the other culprits? Eight foods that make your pee smell Uh, other than asparagus. Yes, I want to hear this. This is what I'm interested in. Now, this is one of these articles that you find online sometime that look all official, but I can't, I don't know if Mm -hmm. any of this is real because there's eight foods here and I really wanted to list all eight of them and see if this is something that makes your pee smell because some of these do not, in my opinion. Gotcha. Number one, speaking of Brussels sprouts. Yes, that doesn't surprise me. 
I'll have to think about that the next time I eat Brussels sprouts. Does my pee smell after I eat Brussels sprouts? I've not noticed this. I'm going to pay attention. Onions. Huh. Same thing. When your body breaks down onions, methyl mercaptan. So maybe when you eat a Brussels sprout dish that has a lot of onions in it, when they're all together. Fish. And that's if you have a specific metabolic disorder, hmm. but it can't properly break down the uh, tremethylamine. Nobody cares about all of these words. I agree. <laughs> coffee? Yeah, coffee makes... I can tell. Yeah, definitely. If you're an avid coffee drinker, expect a scent. Yeah. But that's like... It smells like coffee. It doesn't smell like odor. Cumin? Yeah. Because <laughs> cumin contains sulfur compounds. It is interesting that one of the first things I noticed when I started eating a lot more ethnic foods was that I smell different. Like my sweat smells different. Like when you eat a lot of garlic, that's kind of known. If you eat a lot of garlic, yeah. then you'll have garlic sweats the next day. I eat a lot of garlic and I haven't noticed that. Maybe have you noticed that on me? I eat a lot of garlic. I Recently, even more than others. find your odor to be so... <laughs> hypnotic, transfixing, and pleasant that I probably would just like it. It's the Italian version, you know, you're just wearing a different perfume. It has become a thing in our house of, ooh, ooh, I smell like cumin. Because uh, cumin, to me, smells like body odor. Like if I open up the jar, that's what human. onions smell like to me. We make we make jokes about the Waterburger onion smell. Anybody yeah. that eats Waterburger Very understands strong. exactly yes, what. Yes, yes. Like that, it's like an armpit smell. <laughs> that's what it smells like. We do a lot of talking about bodily functions in our house. If y'all haven't figured that out yet, <laughs> I hope that you're doing the same in yours. I agree. It's agreed. warm and wonderful. It's one of the things I've been teaching over the years when it came to teaching kids how to eat vegetables is that kids love to talk about poop and pee sure. and farts and yeah. smells and all of that. And if you yeah. can engage them in that part of the conversation with, as it relates to food, it kind of gets them in, a little bit more interested. It's one of the ways you can get kids more interested in food. Alcohol is the seventh one. I don't notice that one. And then number eight, it doesn't always have to be foul smelling. Some things make your pee smell good. One of them, they say, is pineapple. Yeah. But I don't eat pineapple. I hate pineapple. So Ooh, I love pineapple. Pineapple season is coming. Okay. So I had been talking for a while about this thing that I wanted to do. And I actually saw it for the first time from Shay Elliott. They have a YouTube account called the Elliott Homestead. They're homesteaders. I've talked about them before. And she did an episode where she was talking about how she stores some of her herbs for the winter. And of course, they live in like Washington. So they're putting things away for winter They've in a different a way. What she said is that when it comes to like drying herbs, she doesn't end up using a lot of the dried herbs. And we kind of tend to be a little bit the same way. Like I have all these, I have this massive drying rack of all these dried herbs, but they're just sitting there because we're not using our herbs in our jars fast enough to really use them. Plus you keep going to the store and buying brand new ones. And so and there's no need for me to do anything with the We've ones I dried. If you're going to keep around buying. and around about that, <laughs> you need to remove that from your mind. If there are fresh herbs... From your garden available, they will be used. Fresh is easy. I get you do get the fresh ones, but it's the dried ones that I, I have. I misspoke. I meant dried. If dried <laughs> rosemary is available, the store bought rosemary will be unopened. Right. Anyways, point being Where's my rosemary? I don't know, because I keep killing rosemary. Yeah. Point Let's being talk about the real culprit. Shut up. Go ahead. Keep point being 
I decided that I wanted to give her technique a try. And her technique is she's going to harvest her herbs, washes and dries them, and then they're still fresh. But then she blends them in a food processor with garlic. She did a little bit of lemon zest and kosher salt and literally just blends it up. I thought the original concept was to just put it out on a baking sheet and then you just have to let it sit out and dry. And I thought, well, that's going to take such a long time. You know, it's going to take up a bunch of space. But one of the things you can do is cook it in the oven on a super low temperature. And it worked out perfect. It's like a dehydrator. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was fantastic. So I made what I'm calling, it's different than her recipe. Hulk salt. Pizza salt. Oh. Hulk salt because it's green, I yes. guess. Yeah. And I filled four little, like four ounce jars of it. The pizza salt was made of basil from my backyard, some even basil flowers, chives from my backyard, Cuban oregano from my backyard, garlic pods, and just common oregano as well. And I zipped it in the food processor. And when I took it out of the food processor, it was kind of almost like a paste. Right. And and we're using just like basic kosher salt because we have those big boxes of basic kosher, right. kosher salt. So then I'm I'm like taking this paste and like smoothing it out over one cookie sheet basically. Right. Put it in the oven, super low temperature, set Alexa for 20 minutes. It came out perfect. I think it took me probably about an hour at 20 minute allotments. And I would, every time I would go in and actually stir it, you know, really stir it so that I would break it all up and let it get really dried out. Now, the one thing that I think I need to do next time is I need to get a mocajete or a mortar and pestle. Uh-huh. That way I can grind it down after it's dried again or yeah, those try are running it. Clumps. Yeah, try running it through the, the blender again. Okay, just to break it up. To break it up to where it's real nice and fine. fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because I thought to myself, Baby made pizza salt. It's time to make some more pizzas. Yay! We are in the middle of a challenge, which is to make grain-free pizza crusts so we can forever eliminate from our lives store-bought pizza crusts. And you're not eating grain. We tried it a couple of episodes ago with an egg-based one. I wasn't happy with it. You thought it was okay. I Truthfully, I liked the one that you made before better than the one you made last night, but I think that there's a very specific reason for that. So I had 30 minutes to kill the other day, and I was walking around Barnes & Noble. Fun. And eventually got to the cooking area and saw a keto cookbook. I was like, wait a second, keto baking. And then I found a recipe that's very well known for pizza dough and other doughs. But I also saw a thousand recipes for all kinds of things that we would like to try that would be grain-free and I don't have to rack my brain and learn how to do it. I can tell, let somebody else tell me how to do it. So I'm mm-hmm. probably going to move in that direction. But this is called Fathead Pizza Dough. I guess there was a documentary called Fathead. Do you know about this one? Mm-mm. It's a guy that went keto for 90 days and just did all of his stats and vitals and, and to talk mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. diet. He did not talk about this dough in that documentary. I'm curious to see this documentary now. But it came up in his blog and is now kind of a well-known thing in the keto world. Fathead dough. The base of this dough, believe it or not, is mozzarella cheese. You melt mozzarella cheese and butter together. Uh-huh. Then you add coconut flour and almond flour, more almond than coconut. And if you're making a pizza crust, you might want to add in some garlic powder or maybe some of your pizza salt. And pizza maybe salt. some of your, uh, like a, an Italian seasoning mix. Just a little bit. 
and you... You don't need an Italian seasoning mix, man. You got it all up in Aislinn salt now. Then you <laughs> mix it, and when you mix and mix and mix, it turns into basically what resembles a dough. Mm-hmm. And that was the dough. You have to cook this dough, the recipe says, for 10 minutes in a 425 oven. That is a necessary step, cooking it in the oven. Now, having found the pizza dough recipe, mm-hmm. I wanted to find a really interesting new pizza. It's funny because I was down in the fridge that same day and I said, hey, what's for dinner tonight? And you said I was planning on making pizza. I'm going to come home and make pizza crust. Ooh, I have eggplant in here. Put eggplant on our pizza. Yeah, and so I found a great recipe. Grilled eggplant pizza. Yum. And I made a pizza in a way I never had before. I had my crust ready, right? And then I took my onion and red bell pepper and entire cloves of garlic cut in half. Mm, and grilled all of that. Mm-hmm. Got a char on it. It's now soft and yummy. Mm-hmm. Then take your eggplant, which I did sweat. Listen to the episode a couple weeks ago about eggplant sweating. <laughs> and grilled it. Cut it up. Did you grill it on your cast iron grill? Yes. Diced a tomato. And then it was pizza crust. Uh-huh. Oil with some of your pizza salt on top of the crust. Then your grilled onions, bell pepper, and garlic. Mm-hmm. Then the tomatoes. Then the grilled eggplant. Then a ton of cheese. Then Kalamata olives. Sista, that was an incredible pizza last night. It was very, very good. My pizza crust, however, was a little burnt. And I know why it was. And I want to try this method again in a way that will that will be delivered more perfectly. Yeah, I think that if you get the crust, the baking of the crust right, that's a really good crust. And it holds up well. You know, that's important for pizza. Especially when you're putting a ton of vegetables Soggy on it. Ing- ingredients yeah. on it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I think we should give that one a try. Again. I want to try that one again. I also mm-hmm. want to move into the cauliflower-based crust. I want to try that one time. Okay. I'm looking for ease, and I want to add hours to my pizza mm-hmm. preparation. Mm-hmm. This one was easy. Delicious. Well, that's what I ate while you guys were on the election TV, TV watching. I was eating some delicious, delicious pizza and sprinkling. I got all excited because I was like, here I have my... Homemade, grain-free, crusted pizza with several fresh vegetables, some of them that came from our farmer's market or backyard, with my pizza salt and my ground red pepper. I was a little more careful with it this time. I didn't drop it all over it so Mm -hmm. that it uh, exploded my mouth and everything else. Um, (laughs) On the side of that, well... Lily came in last night and tells me a few things that gives me an indicator that she might be dealing with a little bit of anemia right now, which is not that unusual for females and our body type and all of that. And so she's like, I think I might need to take iron. And of course, as you're raising up your kiddos, your girls, you're starting to get to know like what you need to let them know about different types of medicines and different types of supplements and everything like that. And any woman that has ever had a baby or any woman probably for that matter that's taken iron understands that iron makes you like super constipated. Ah. So I'm like, okay, you don't want to take iron. Let's figure out what are some other things that we can do. Greens, leafy greens. You need lots of leafy greens. In the midst of that, I had just harvested my first little harvest from the farm. So I brought home some fresh kale. I brought home some cucumbers. I brought home some little jalapeno peppers. I brought in some beautiful radishes. And now I've got the making of a lovely little salad. So last night, next to this beautiful pizza, 
I had a truly garden fresh salad to go with it that is going to help feed my little darling daughter her folates and her iron that she needs to be a healthy young woman. And I got to use my thrift store vinaigrette maker yet again. Yes. When? We like to make those delicious dressings. I'm looking forward to the beautiful salad season that is upon us now as we harvest from the gardens and we start to harvest more and more and more. We had the best conversation at the dinner table this week. Yeah. As two communications majors in college, as we worked our parallel paths out together, mm-hmm. well, seven years apart. <laughs> and it was a frittata morning. Yes. We had a sleepover. We had a, Our extra- chickens are producing. I had uh-huh. a ton of eggs. I had already harvested a little bit of kale, and we had some stuff to go into a nice little frittata. frittata. So you made frittata. Trash can breakfast, otherwise. Yes. No. We love it. Your daughter and the friend and mm-hmm. us, we all sat down at the table. And interestingly enough, she goes, this is how the conversation started. I don't know if you remember this, but we have OJ on the table. She says, give me some of that OJ Simpson. And then she goes, Wait, I don't even know who OJ Simpson is. What, what is that? And I start out because all of this stuff apparently happened like right at the end of me getting out of high school, you know, graduating from high school and all of that. So yes, I was paying attention to it, but as a 18 year old high school graduate, not as a adult, you know, but I said, oh yeah, OJ Simpson, you know, he went to prison for killing his wife, you know, which is like not the whole story. And you go, oh no, hold on. And you start telling the story. It eventually came up that the Bronco chase was one of the most watched television things that had ever kind of occurred at the time, how it broke into Monday Night Football. Really nothing to see, except that, you know, O.J. Simpson is inside that truck. And we were trying to use modern sports figures to explain the gravity and like how and why it became such a, I don't want to say the beginning of, because that's probably not accurate, but a stepping stone toward tabloid news and tabloid television and tabloid court cases. Yeah, court cases where you sit and watch the entire court case, that kind of thing. And then it becomes daily viewing like the price is right. Also, it to make it a connection to them so that they had a little bit closer understanding. I said, ultimately, the connection that Kim Kardashian had with the Simpsons, that their family had with the Simpsons, and the connection that she had with Paris Hilton is the reason that Kim Kardashian is as famous as Kim Kardashian is. It's her, it was her pathway. Then it kind of connected it to things they know about. Like, oh, they know Kim Kardashian. So then we were able to start talking about, well, we started talking about the Kardashians. We started talking about that family and Caitlyn Jenner and the store and how we've watched that family go into media. And then we started talking about 9-11 mm-hmm. and how we told that story about and, and what we did and how the media... To the television aspect mm-hmm, of it, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, how many people saw live the first or second tower fall. And if you didn't see the first one, after you learned about that, everyone turned their television on. Right. And then how the internet has swept. It was this fantastic how media works in our life. Well, and it was the first time, I think, for us, beyond just the idea of like, okay, well, we used to sit around and watch MTV videos all day in the summer. So that was definitely glued to the screen. But it was the first time we were glued to the screen, literally just glued to the screen. Every classroom, every auto parts store with a sitting area, oh. everywhere the TV news is on we now all the time. experienced it together Which television. gives you the idea that there's a basic beginning of the concept that, oh, if we can glue them to that screen, what if we put the screen in their hand 
then we can really glue them to the screen. And we have children that not only don't know who O.J. Simpson is, but they don't know what life is like without having a screen in their hand. Right, we have that generation. And it gets me thinking about, I hope that people are having interesting conversations like that around the dinner table. And I love that your daughter is always a bit engaged in, you know, things like that. She's always I also a bit... enjoy the walk down memory lane of it. Mm-hmm. Where were you when you saw the thing? And where were you? You and I, because they, mm-hmm. they were too young to have gone through either of those things. And then we started talking about driving. Karina Savannah's friend said, well, Joe, when was your first accident in the car? That's right. <laughs> so That's right. And, and it, it was when I was learning how to drive, which is after I turned 16, after I got my license, after I had an adult in the car with me. That's where kids learn how to drive, period, in right. my opinion. Right. So we're both going through that. Your daughter literally just got her car. Yep. Literally drove just, just drove off. Yep. Mm-hmm. Literally just a couple of days later needed her <laughs> that Joe was actually a to funny come story. help her uh, fix a tire. I don't know how much of that story we're allowed to tell. No, it was a funny story <laughs> because she calls us flat. and she says, my tire's flat. And she had already know, known that there was an issue. She had tried to go by and get it fixed that day, but they weren't, a, it just wasn't. Two it, or three hour wait. Yeah. She got, you know, saw that her tire was flat. So she calls me and says, hey, my tire's flat. And you're there as we're talking to her and we're like, okay, well, we're, we need to find out where your spare is. And I'm thinking this is what's about to happen is that she's going to start digging around in her car, finding out spare. You're going to get in the car. You're going to head that direction to help her learn how to change a tire. Mm -hmm. And then she goes, I don't have a spare. So then we had she's to had go the down. She's had for two days. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't know the ins sure. and outs. Right. And she's a 16-year-old sure, that's just is, learning yes, about yes, cars. Yes, yes, and yes, yes, yes. So we go through the whole conversation, uh, go down the whole rabbit hole of, I'm over at a friend's house and, uh, oh, this is going to be hard. We can't just, if your tire is completely flat, we need to talk to your dad because that's the car your dad owns. So you need to call your dad. Uh, okay. You know, so then she calls me back all of a sudden, calls you, whatever, and says, I have a spare. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then you're like, do you have a jack? I don't know what a jack is. <laughs> so you did a great job. I was yeah. so thankful that you went over and got her all situated. And, you know, those are those are the types of conversations that we're having currently at the dinner table with our teenage daughters and with our teenagers. And then a side story. I get to her friend's house. We know this friend a little bit. I think you've met her mother. Yeah, her mom said... The first time I met her mom, she's like, I voted for you for mayor. Yeah, oh. that's fun. <laughs> uh, I get there and the dad, uh-huh. known him since first grade. Uh-huh. And both of the girls' jaws drop uh-huh. because I told I them. think that there is <laughs> a, when you, when you are going to be a little bit mischievous and I don't care who you are, when you're 16, you are, uh-huh. you don't want the parents to know one another because then they can like trade and, and, uh-huh. and collect uh-huh. notes together. Uh-huh. Turns out I know the guy since first grade. We had a great little catch up. And when yeah. this COVID thing's all over, we're going to go out on a double date with those guys. I am certain. To all of the daughter's chagrin. I am certain that I've said this on the podcast before, but I will remind our children repeatedly that at least while you live here in Corpus Christi, any friend you bring home, it is highly likely that I somehow know their parent and you went to high school with their parents. Right. <laughs> it's part of living here that I enjoy very much. It's a very small town, big town. It's a, is it a big small town or a small big town? We mm-hmm. haven't quite figured that out yet. <laughs> it's been a weird week as far as eating. We're right. trying to go through the week and say, well, what should we talk about on the show? And there was so much going on this week, I guess, that mm-hmm. we we ate out a lot more than normal. Brought in food. Yeah, and you, I think that you might have been tired 
of cooking. I'm not 100% sure, oh, but like a, a couple a couple of times you were like, yeah, we're just going to eat those leftovers. We're just going to eat those leftovers. And I'd be like, dude, there's no freaking leftovers. What are you talking about? I'm like, and then you'd get in there, you'd be like, oh, I guess there was less of this than I thought. And I'm like, yeah, people eat other times a day around the house besides just that one meal of the day. Plus you're doing your sugar fast, I am on which means you're like, you don't nine. care about whether there's food in the house because you're hardly eating I anything. Can't eat anything. <laughs> everything's got sugar in it. Everything's got grain. Everything's a potato. But we did go out to the farm to check on the progress of some improvements that are going on out there. And then the four of us mm -hmm. and my daughter. So if you listen to this podcast regularly, you will know that we had to announce to Savannah or let her know that we were moving in a year and she got her first glimpse at what her life might look like How'd on you think, the farm. How do you think that went? I think it went okay. I think it did too. Yeah. I, I think mean, it'll be okay. She's not like surly or, you know, no. <laughs> so we don't tiptoe around her, but yeah. this is a big change. So I was going to mm -hmm. let her wade into how she feels about it. It's funny because now all the people, okay, I moved to Corpus Christi proper when I met you, right. when we moved in together. Right. Outside of one year living in a townhouse when we first moved back from college, I haven't lived in Corpus Christi. And so it's funny to me that there's so many people that have met me over the last decade that don't know that. They don't know that I'm not Mrs. Corpus Christi because I had no connection to local politics right. before, you know, any of that because I'm from over there. So now to think, oh, well, I'm taking the, I'm taking Mr. Corpus Christi and all the little Corpus Christi urchins that come along with him out of Corpus Christi. Yeah. That's an interesting concept. It's confusing to people. They don't know that I'm not... People are talking know. to you about this? Yeah. Like, how does Joe feel about... How does Joe really feel about going? Well, not that exactly, but more like, oh, oh. Y'all yeah. are keeping a house here? You keeping what? an apartment? Yeah. Or are you what? keeping some residency in, in Corpus Christi? Y'all are Corpus Christi. What are we doing? No. Huh. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm 100% cool with it. I'm 100% cool with it too. I'm ready. <laughs> we looked at it. We'll talk about that in the future, I'm sure. Yeah. What you're up to mostly out there. But yeah. we were hungry and wanted to go eat. So me, you, Savannah, and your folks drove back to Corpus Christi mm -hmm. to eat at a very... Help me help me describe it. It's... It's a local seafood place. But here's the thing. There has always been this regionally local seafood restaurant that people would travel to from our area and people that traveled through. It's just... It's a well-known Texas restaurant on the coast down in the Corpus Christi area called King's Inn. It's very hyper-local. And King's Inn was kind of famous for family-style dining. Mm -hmm. So plates of fried shrimp, you buy it by plates the pound, of half pound. fried oysters, plates of fried drum, French fries, an avocado salad, mm -hmm. like very specific things that you could get at this place. Well, of course, once something becomes super popular and super they popular. lose different chefs over the years and this owner and this, that and whatever. And so different places have tried to do a repeat, a copycat a type of, copycat. of what they've done. And one of them didn't really do well and it had a poor ending. But this other that did become the regionally local chain family started one, a different restaurant that worked. 
And in addition to that, to make themselves a little bit stronger, kind of in our downtown area, they also put in a brewery as well. So when you go to this place, you go there to eat, for the most part, Mm -hmm. certainly anybody that knows where they originally started at. Now, there are probably a lot of people that go to that restaurant that don't have any clue that it started from the concept of this fried family style seafood restaurant. But our family certainly has gone to this restaurant to have these big plates of fried Fried seafood. Fried Fried oysters. Shoestring fried French fries Mm -hmm. and the avocado salad. And the onion rings. Oh, and the onion rings. Yeah, absolutely. And at this location, a locally made beer. Well, as you can imagine, that this leads us into a conversation, not necessarily about fried seafood, because we talk about fried seafood. That's something we eat all of the time. But that we're currently, neither one of us, leaning on fried seafood because of... You, yeah. sugar fast, me, trying to be as grain-free as I can as often as I can. I also can't lean on that local beer. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll tag along and find something to eat that's not fried when that's the only thing you want to eat at this place. Right. It's that's the pre- only thing I want to eat at that it's place. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Eating out when you're eating grain-free, you, mm-hmm. all of the time. Eating out when you're eating vegetarian. Eating out when you're trying to steer think, away from meat, you yeah, know, it's whatever. It's why I think we talk about it as often as we do, because our experience is doing these things that are non-conventional for American diners. Mm-hmm. Sugar-free, no sugar. These are rarities. When we talked about it with Francesco and Susan on the last Friends with Benefits episode. Yeah. And you don't want, that's the thing about us going to this restaurant that night, which I appreciate actually. You don't want to have to adjust every, you don't want to have to go in and ask for 12 different ways of doing things. You don't want to be the person at the table that's with the person at the table that has to ask for eight different dietary changes on sure. everything they Especially ask for. Especially when you go to a place that's and not going to be known for doing these things. Yeah. You are, you are, they are going to look at you blank-faced and not right. understand what you're asking right. for. Do you want the fried shrimp or the fried oysters? Do you have any of that without grain? Uh, no. <laughs> right. I can't help you. So it's really nice to be able to know that you can go into places, and like we talked about with Susan and Francesco, that have... Kept in mind that there are people that are going to need to eat different things than that, that have dietary restrictions. And so in this particular situation, we ended up getting blackened shrimp and blackened fish. And yeah, it was fine. It wasn't, it wasn't what we love about that restaurant, but it gave us the ability to sit down with our family who was getting what they were getting in their own diet situations they're dealing with and get some good food and enjoy ourselves and have a good time with our family and everything like that. Even I've mentioned, I know that I've mentioned this before, but the whole grow local concept, me starting that whole concept really started from the idea that I had shifted to a no industrial meat diet, which meant I was having a really hard time finding food to eat. And I like food and I like good food. I mean, I don't want my dietary restrictions to keep me from being able to eat food and eat good food. Or to have to eat a bunch of other processed crap that's not real food. I want to be able to eat real good food. And so if I choose to be a vegetarian, I want to be able to have access to real good vegetarian food. If I need to do a sugar fast, then I want to be able to go to a dinner with my family and still have a nice plate of food to eat. And so I think that it's essential as we move into this next phase of wellness for the entire world... You know, and I've been having the conversation with a lot of people about the sugar concept and there we went through Halloween and 
Now we're moving into the time of year when we're just going to all gorge on sugar. And at the same time, we're all trying to stay well. If the case is that we're trying to stay well, then we need, and a lot of the restaurants that have gone through kind of an economic downturn potentially need to keep in mind that they're going to have to do different things in order to draw people in to eat their food. And one of those is going to be easy for people with different types of dietary restrictions to find good food on your menu. I'm day nine into this sugar fast of 21. The next time that I decide to do this or we decide to do this, let's look at a calendar because doing it on Halloween was stupid <laughs> and doing it on the night of no. the election was stupid. Actually, I, I think really it was... I really wanted a scotch last night <laughs> when during the uh, three or four hours of election coverage and I really... I think that it probably benefited you and it benefited our household. I am kind of grateful that the COVID oh, actually led us to... So they led us to eating less sugar yeah. for Halloween because one of the things that I feel a little bit frustrated about because I'm I'm dealing with some medical stuff right now that we'll talk more about with my teeth. And I know we're going to talk more about it because it's about to become a big deal in the point that it might even be that I fix recording time around my things that I'm dealing with. And all of the different types of questions they're asking in terms of what's going on with my health you know those questions they ask you when you go to the pediatrician with your kid or you go to the doctor, you have your physical of the yeah, year, your whatever, annual, yeah. and you're getting those, well, how many times a day do you exercise and do you use any recreational drugs and do you drink alcohol? What kind of alcohol? How many a day? You know, all of these questions. Why aren't they asking us questions about how much sugar we're intaking? If that's going to lead to diabetes? <laughs> Well, the likelihood that you're going to get viruses like the flu and COVID very, very easily because they're going to send me to get a nose swab twice in order to get different procedures done. Oh, for COVID. Something you might want to know if you're trying to make sure you've got somebody healthy enough to do work on them, to do work that could potentially share germs with them or you, is what are you doing with your diet in terms of sugar? And I think that it's time... For us to take those questions very, very seriously. And I'm sorry if that offends you. And the sugar fast to remember how much sugar is in food that's being sold to you to eat. You do like sweets. You've told me that since the oh, day God, I met yeah. you. Don't, oh, yeah. don't even bring sweets into the house because I will consume them. Yeah. Around Halloween time, are you just reckless abandon? No, I try not to be. Yeah. At all. Like, I, I actually I wish you, you hadn't have brought that stuff in the house. Because now ah, I'm eating it all. But let me tell you why I did. Because when they saw it, and I pulled it out of the bag, I, and I said, excited. Happy Halloween. <laughs> oh, it's like, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I saw later that night, you were like, Joe, <laughs> so, I'm going to take these away from you. But I didn't because you're an adult. <laughs> That's right. People talking. Go table topics from the what would you do category a question neither of us have seen prior to this moment mm -hmm. would you eat only rice and vegetables the rest of your life if it meant not one person would go hungry kind no of. no do you care to elaborate no this kind of sucks this is a terror that's the reason why i never choose from that pile because those questions are so lame well, let's, like, let's, it's ultimately let's get to, to the make root me of what feel they're asking. Like Would you make not, a personal sacrifice? That it's gives making the, idea the assumption that, a, that the personal sacrifice is a low calorie diet, rice and vegetables. That's what they've come up with here. And would you trade that inconvenience or that 
but that's giving you the, you said this in last week's episode at the end when we were doing table topics, which I thought was fantastic. And I'm glad you said it. And I think this is a great opportunity to bring it up that there's a zero sum game Mm -hmm. that like, if I eat good food and someone over here doesn't have access to good food, that isn't the reality that I live in. There is plenty. There is plenty of food. There is. And I don't have to do without anything because someone I, I agree else with is. You. Th- there's no way for me to do without something no, so th- that th- you th- can is, have access to it. This is supernatural. It. It's a supernatural event that we're talking about. Would you trade the convenience or the luxury no, of eating? No, it's not. It's trying to make you feel bad for the idea that you've got access to something. So therefore, you need to back off from whatever you're consuming because someone else isn't able to consume oh, it. I'm not taking and if it you that are- way. I'm exactly what it, it is. No, it's I, about it's about your consumption. If you lower your consumption, someone else will have access to things. And I don't agree with that mentality at all. At all. So your point is that there is plenty of food, but there's certainly breaks in food systems or charitable systems or food delivery systems that are wasting a lot of food. Yeah. And also, if you teach a man to fish rather than to give him fish for free, then mm. when he learns how to fish, he can feed himself forever. I guess the problem is the delivery systems for that food that is being wasted. The being problem is, is that people. we rely on that system as the only system to feed ourselves. Well, now I'm going to say no, too, because I'm not going to eat rice and vegetables by myself. It's a mentality I don't agree with. It's a mentality that I don't support. I, and, you know, here's the thing. I lived in that world as an executive director, and I know the realities of starving. I know the realities of starving and people starving. We have to make better choices as people. And the only thing I can do to solve that problem is to clean up my side of the street. If you want people to have access to food, take care of yourself and everyone will be fine. We are in the middle of a challenge. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. Just walked around. Did you hear that fly? It was literally on. It's going to be on the podcast. (laughs) I have something to say. Let me talk. I can't deal with that for the rest of the show. <laughs> Z-